Mark chapter 10, let's go there and let's read this story. Uh, this guy in this, in this passage, he's known by scholars as the rich young ruler. Matthew says he's young. Mark, Matthew, and Luke says he's rich. And Luke tells us that he was a ruler of the day. And so we're going to read verses 17 through 22. I know I just had you sit down, but I always ask us to stand for the reading of the Word of God, and let's read together from verse 17 to verse... uh, We'll stop at 22 for now. And here's what it says. And as he was setting out on his journey, this Jesus, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How many think that's a pretty good question? Because <laughs> this is kind of important to take care of before you die. And verse 18, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Uh, there is no one good except God alone. Verse 19, he goes, You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. Somebody say sorrowful. He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. We'll read a little bit further. Here's what it says. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And all the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And said to him, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Let's pray. Father, in this moment I ask that the Holy Spirit will have absolute control of this room and this time together. We pray that our hearts will be open to what you want us to hear I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. That everything that you want to do tonight will be accomplished in all of our hearts. Start with me, God. And Lord, we open our hearts. We open our minds. We open our ears. We pray, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you want to say. And may Christ be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a seat. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And by the way, we want to say welcome to our Tonda campus watching by video. They watch all these messages by video. And everybody else watching by video, welcome into the service. Everybody here, let's welcome them in. Good to see you there. Glad you're with us. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to have eternal life? That's an important question. But this is an incredibly interesting character in the Bible. Most of the people that have been following Jesus up to this point are the lame, the blind, the losers in life. The people that you would say, these people don't got it together. Of course they need Jesus. But here we have a man that if you will indulge me, he has everything that we want. 
here in America. We like riches in America. We like um, a, a power, authority. That's what he is. He's a ruler. He's, a, he's got authority. He's got power. We like power in America. We always say we're the most powerful country in the world. He's also got youth. Now, let's be honest. We like youth in America. Those of you who have it, hold on to it. Those of you who don't, you know, you think about how if only I could go back to when I was young. And I want to add one more thing that he's got, because the Bible says he's rich and he's young. I believe he's got good looks. Because it's hard to be rich and young and not be attractive. You can even pay for that in this generation. So it begs the question, if he comes to Jesus and he's got everything that you and I want or aspire to as Americans, why does he come to Jesus and say, what do I still need to do? Because the interesting thing about this passage in the context is that the Jews believed, and Jesus was a Jew, and, and, the, and the Old Testament even teaches this to an extent, is that if you had riches, it was not a sign that you were out of sorts with God. Actually, the fact that you were rich was a sign that God had blessed you for your behavior. And so when he comes to Jesus, Jesus kind of responds off the cuff right away. He says, why do you call me good in verse 18? No one is good except God alone. By the way, that's 100% true. No one is good. Everybody has flaws. The Bible says in Psalm 14, verse 3, there is none who does good, not even one. No matter how good we look on the outside, let's be honest, we all know there's a whole boatload of shortcomings on the inside. And so Jesus says, you got to understand what goodness is. Let me, just, let me just park there for a moment. Because when we think about getting to heaven, most of us make this designation. The good people are going and the bad people aren't. That's what, that's what we do as Americans. And, and there was a survey in 1992 of who do you think is going to heaven? Do you know who made the survey? It was amazing. Um, second place, Mother Teresa with 86% of the votes. Third place, Billy Graham. I think he had like 84% of the votes. Um, the president at the time was George Bush. I think they put him up there too, if you can believe that, whether you're a Democrat or Republican. I don't know. If you're a Democrat, you probably can't believe that. If you're a Republican, you probably can't. But nonetheless, they had this list of people, all these major figures of goodness and religiosity at the time. Do you know who was number one on the survey? The person taking the survey. So most people believe that they had a better chance of getting to heaven than Mother Teresa. Because good people are going and bad people aren't. But let me just ask you what Jesus asked this man. What do you think is good? Because what your definition of good is, I guarantee you, is far, far, far away from God's definition of good. God's definition of good is this. Perfect absolutely flawless and what we have in a, in a country like this it's a lot of deceived people out there we actually think we're we're good enough we got it going on I know you know we, we do some bad stuff but we do most of the time kind of outweigh our bad with our good and we walk around thinking we're good enough this is 
This is the most destructive false doctrine in our country. You're good enough. I have with me uh, something that you probably all crave. I got myself the iPhone 5. I ordered it at 3 a.m. last Friday. That's, yes, I am a weirdo. I'm sorry. But do you know that this is my first time, my first experience with Siri. How many are familiar with Siri? The little personal digital assistant that if you press and hold the home button, she'll pop up and answer all your questions. So I, I asked her a question this week, or yesterday, since I've had it for one day. And here's what I asked Siri. I'm going to just see if this works now. Don't let me down, Siri. Siri, what's wrong with me? I like this phone. <laughs> so he says, listen, you don't even understand what goodness is. If you want to go to goodness, you got to go to God. And so he says, you know the commandments, though. Let's start there. And he lists uh, the commandments. Verse 19, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. But did you notice something here? When Jesus lists the commandments... I don't know if you counted, but there's some missing. There's six here. And one of them, do not defraud, isn't even a commandment in the, in the Big Ten. What's going on? How many of you think maybe Jesus was just having a long day and he just forgot some? <laughs> I don't think so. He wrote them. Why did he leave out certain commandments? Well, if you know anything about the commandments, here's what Jesus is doing. There are two kinds of commandments in the Big Ten. The first four commandments in the Ten Commandments deal with our relationship between us and God. The second six, or the last six, deal with our relationships with each other. Do not lie, do not steal, do not covet, all those kind of things. And so Jesus lists the commandments that this guy thinks he's got down. And in fact, he does. Because Jesus doesn't even say, argue with him. He, he responds, I've, I've obeyed all these since I was young. And Jesus doesn't even say, uh-uh. But he is doing something strategically because whenever people had a conversation with Jesus, it always upset their apple cart. Like, Siri's telling me I'm perfect. Jesus doesn't say that. And this is how it goes. He's setting him up for the reality of his heart to be exposed. And he leaves out the four first commandments because although his relationships with other people might have been fine, this man had a problem in his relationship with God. And when he says these I've all kept since my youth, Jesus says, it, looks, it says this, Jesus looking at him, verse 21, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. I can't tell you how many times I have heard how much people hate that verse. Like we don't, we don't put that verse on our coffee mugs, do we? You don't, you don't see that plastered on bumper stickers. Go sell all that you have. <laughs> Give it to the poor and, and come follow me. What's Jesus doing? You have to look at this question in the context of his entire ministry, all four Gospels. He only asked this of this guy. He didn't ask it of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was rich. He didn't ask it of Joseph of Arimathea, and he was rich. 
He didn't ask it of Matthew, and Matthew was a tax collector. He was rich. He didn't ask it of the Roman centurion. Roman centurions were very well paid in those days. He didn't ask it of him. Only this guy. Why? Here's why. His possessions were the controlling influence of his life. And I have a question for you. What is the controlling influence of your life? If it is anything outside of God, you're missing it. If it's anything outside of what God wants for you, you will never prosper. His riches, the Bible says, had his heart. The Bible says this in, in, in verse 22. When Jesus said, sell all that you have, give it to the poor and follow me, verse 22 says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. And that word sorrowful in the Greek is one of the most profound words. It literally means that his face fell. He was happy. He was, ex he was excited to meet Jesus. He was ready for something good to come. And Jesus just like said, I am going to put my finger on the heartbeat of your life, the very thing that you define your existence by, and I'm going to ask you to give that up. Follow me, and you'll have treasure. And his face fell. Jesus said how difficult it will be for people who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. What is the controlling influence in your life? Because you will never prosper until the controlling influence is Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I identify that? Here, here's how you identify it. The Bible says he walked away sad. He was disheartened and his face became sorrowful. Here's how you identify the controlling influence in your life. What makes you saddest? What makes you glad? What makes you happiest? What, makes, what pulls on your heart the most? In other words, what makes you have a good day? Like everything else can be like, you know, off the rails, but this one thing is in place. You, you meet somebody. You're single. You meet somebody. There's a potential there, and suddenly your day just went from rainy to gloriously sunny. Or you won some money in the lottery, or you got a raise, got a promotion, or, or you finally said what you really wanted to say to your neighbor whose dog is pooping on your lawn. It's the controlling influence of your life. The Bible has another word for it. Idols. There are idols in all of us. For many Americans, like I've already said, the idol is our own perception of ourselves. And so Jesus sees that possessions control this man. And you can't claim to follow Jesus. You can't claim to be a Christian if something else has the dominant control, the upper hand of Jesus in your life. You, you, it's okay if that's the case for you. I feel bad for you because you're not saved. But don't call yourself a Christian if you're going to serve something other than Jesus. Mark says he went away sad because he had great possessions. I would say this. He went away sad because his possessions had him. He couldn't drop the banana. 
So the title is, Does What You Own, Own You? What is prosperity in the series Prosper? Now, we haven't defined that yet. Last week we talked about wisdom, and in the midst of trials, don't ask God to give you escape. Don't ask God to take the trial away. Don't ask God to give you strength. Ask God for wisdom so that you can learn through it and grow through it, and then by in, and then in doing that, you prosper. But what is prosper? What is prosperity? I have a definition. Because I don't think for one second that prosperity has anything to do with your checking account balance. Or the number of friends that you have. Or how influential you are in the society in which you live, or in the job. That has nothing to do with your prosperity. Here's what I think prosperity is. This is my definition. Prosperity is this. Doing life God's way. Doing life God's way. So that, and, and there's, there's a real benefit to this. Here it is. When you are doing life the way God wants you to do life, it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter what people think of you. Like, it doesn't matter if people hate you or love you. If you know that God approves of you, that's all you need. And that's the kind of life that Jesus comes to give us. This is why he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Free to what? Free to be who God made you to be, regardless of what people think of you, because you are a creation of an almighty, loving God. And he wants, he wants it to go well for you. He wants it to go well for you. So I got, I got, I got three points, as always, to give you because I believe that there are three fundamental things that this guy didn't realize that we need to realize if we're going to prosper, if we're going to do life God's way. Because most Americans are rich. We are. Even if you're lower middle class here, compared to the rest of the world, you're rich. There are people in third world countries that would love, love to have the problems you have and I have. In fact, just to give you like perspective on how America is rich, listen to this. America is the only country ever in the history of the universe where you can be poor and obese at the same time. <laughs> right? It's absolutely true. So we are rich. And what we need to understand, if we're ever going to do life God's way, we've got to get these three things done. If you're taking notes, take out your sheets with me. Everybody watch my video. Take out your, your sheets with me and, and write these down. Number one, everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. Psalm 89, verse 11. The heavens are yours, the earth also. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. Job 41, verse 11. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Haggai 2, verse 8. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Listen, everything in your wallet, it's God's. And in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord and everything in it, the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, not only is everything in the world God's, 
but everyone in the world is God's. That's why Jesus says, you better love your enemies. Because they belong to God too. Just in case you were wondering why he said that. Everything belongs to God. Jesus says to them, says to this rich young ruler, he says, look, one thing you lack. What did he lack? Trust in God. Trust in God. He was rich. He was moral. He was influential. He was powerful. But he still had something missing. This unconditional sense that God would take care of him. And I believe that there are people who go to church and they sit in churches like this every Sunday. Let's not even talk about people outside the church. Let's first talk about the people sitting in the church. They come to church. They sit in church. They sing the songs. They, they listen to the message. And they still don't have a total commitment to Jesus Christ yet. Like, I, I think that there are people even here watching my video. You, you, you say you're a Christian, but you're still not. And the reason why is because here's the deal with Christianity. Christianity is not follow a couple of teachings of Jesus. Christianity is not pick and choose what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe. Christianity is not just raise your hand, confess a prayer, um, and then that's it. Go on with your life. Here's what Christianity is. It is total surrender to Jesus Christ. Total surrender. Say yes to Jesus in everything. Some of you here, you say, I've done that. You, I, I'm, I'm good. I, I'm going with God. I'm surrendered to Jesus Christ. And I always, get, I always get a little humorous because here's how I know that's just not the case for some of you. Is that as soon as I say, here's what Jesus does, you're like, yeah, I know, but I'm not ready for that yet. As soon as I say, hey, let's talk about, let's talk about tithing. Oh, all of our antennas go up. Zone out, zone out, zone out. Or, or, or here's, let's talk about sex God's way. Whoa, 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 now you're meddling, pastor. Whoa, 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 hold on. It's kind of archaic, kind of old-fashioned. No, no, it's God-fashioned, and it's good for you. Are you surrendered? Are you surrendered? Which means, and I'm not talking about blameless, because you're still going to mess up. You're still going to do things that totally hold you back at times. But what I am talking about is that you are in agreement that Jesus' way is the right way, and you, by all possible means, are going to make it happen because you trust him. Because he owns everything. We sing songs in our church. We sing songs here. God, I give you my all. Uh, you are my all in all. We sing a song, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Do you ever think about those words? Think about those words for a moment. Take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. There's no me in there. So God, if you, if you want me to suffer, I'll suffer. If, if you want me to go without, I'll go without. If you want me to have this difficult relationship and somehow you're going to get glory out of this difficult relationship, then I'll do it. Because God owns everything. God owns everything. For this man, money, not God, was his trust. And Jesus had a boatload of stuff to say about money. He did. In fact, Jesus spent 39% of the time talking about money in the Gospels. He said, you can't serve God and money. What does it mean to serve somebody? It means that you trust them. It means that you listen to them. And this is, this is a fact from most Americans. We listen to money, money talks. 
Because here's a survey for you. Which of these two statements makes you the most anxious? Are you ready? First statement, there is no God. How anxious are you? Second statement, there is no money. <laughs> that one, most of the time, gets us most upset. Because we freak out. Oh my, there's a bill I didn't expect. What am I going to do? Oh my, this is the end. Are you not God's child? Does he not own the cattle of a thousand hills? Is he not Jehovah Jireh, your provider? Stop freaking out. You're God's child. He'll take care of you. It's like, it's like I can't give any of my money. I can't give, Pastor. You don't understand. I can't do it. No, you can't do it. But God can make it happen through you. Because I, I really believe this. Christians should be the most generous people in the community. That's why we put on this manifest thing. That's why we do community outreach. We're supposed to be representations of God. God's not cheap. Right? Some of you are like, well, he's cheap with me. That's because you're cheap. <laughs> and he only, he only really does this. He, does, he only gives resources to people who know that they're a river, not a reservoir. And so... If you're going to represent God, if you're going to prosper in your life, you have to live like you believe that God owns everything. Number two, you're going to love this point. This is an easy one to preach. God loves us. God loves us. Yeah, you're not good enough. Yeah, there's something lacking in your life. But good news, even so, God loves you. That's good news to me good news to like one of you right I, I i found this verse man it's just it's just jumped off the page at me this week verse 21 when it says right before jesus was going to like lay it down on, on this guy and say sell everything and give your money to the poor and follow me and knowing that jesus knowing that this guy was going to walk away knowing that he wasn't going to do what he said knowing that money and possessions had his heart it still says in verse 21 that when Jesus looked at him, he loved him. He loved him. I'm always trying to teach people, look, stop confusing God and the devil. Stop confusing those two people. They aren't the same. God loves you. The devil hates you. God has a wonderful plan. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God gave his only begotten son. The devil wants to take and rob you and rip you off and destroy your life. Stop confusing those two. We, I see Christians living like, oh, God doesn't love me. God wants me to be poor. He wants me to be stressed all the time. He wants me to not have anything. He wants me to suffer. Whew. He wants it to go well with you. He wants you to suffer when you do stuff that's stupid. Yes. Even Peter says, if any of you suffer, let it, not because, let it not be because you are immoral or because you are, sexu or because you are sexually immoral or because you are a meddler, a gossiper, somebody who pries into other people's business. If you suffer for that, then that's your problem. God wants it to go well with you. And so I believe that in love, Jesus said, sell all that you have. Why? Because he didn't just leave it there. He didn't just say, hey, sell all you have. Live destitute and follow me. No, no, no. 
He said, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Because that's best for you. Because I love you. Jesus saying that to him. I love you, and I know what's best for you. Some of you, if you leave with nothing else from this message, you've got to leave with that. God loves you, and he knows what's best for you, and because he knows what's best for you, he will never ask you to do something that's not ultimately great for you. That's just the kind of God that he is. So saying that to this man would have just released him from the biggest idol in his life. What does God need to release you from? What's that controlling thing? You know, um, some of us have this relationship where there are things with God, they're just off the table. Money, friends, uh, I, need, I need people to like me, and if, I, if people don't like me, I don't know if I could live with that. So we compromise our faith, and we do stupid things with certain people because we want them to like us. Again, you've got to get in a hold of the love of God for you because that's enough. Is it achievement? Is it success? What, what is it that you define your life by? You need to surrender it. So that the very definition of your life is this. Jesus loves me. This I know. That's all I need to know. Jesus loves me. This I know. And I'm good with you not liking me. And I'm good with riches. And I'm good with poverty. And I'm good with good times. And I'm good with bad times. Because in all things... God works for the good of those who, are, who love him and are called according to his purposes. So it's all good if Jesus loves you. Amen. Amen. Point number three. Because everything belongs to God and you belong to God, and because Jesus loves you and he knows what's best for you and he's never going to ask you to do something that's outside of his best for you, point number three is big. It's best to just do what Jesus tells you to do. I know these points are not like earth-shattering, but they're so simple because we most of the time we just don't do them. Well, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, because I go to church. That's not a commandment of Jesus. Did you know he never said that? He said, you are the church. I'm going to build my church. But here's what he did say. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Give, give to those who do not have. At the end, he's going to separate us, the sheep from the goats. And he's going to turn to the sheep, the ones who are accepting. He's going to say, you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. You visited me in the hospital. You came and saw me in prison. And they're going to say, when did we see you do that, Jesus? We never saw you in prison. What are you talking about? He says, whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. That, knowing what Jesus said and doing what Jesus said is about Following Jesus about loving Jesus about being prosperous because prosperity is doing life God's way. Now, in, in the passage when Jesus watches this guy walk away, and it's a very sad story. And by the way, we don't know if he ever came back. There might be a chance he came back. We don't know. We just know that at this moment, it was too much to ask. But sitting there watching him walk away was Peter. And Peter's the guy that's always speaking up out of turn. And he says, Jesus, hey, Jesus, I got news for you, Jesus. Verse 28, he says, hey, we left everything to follow you. We left everything. And one of the things that we kind of, not, we, we kind of don't realize about the disciples, these guys were not poor. They did leave 
everything for Jesus. Like Peter, we, we, we tend to think that the only people that were interested in Jesus were poor people. That's not true. Rich people will follow Jesus. In, in just a few moments, Zacchaeus, after this in, cha- in Luke's gospel, is going to give half of his possessions away and pay back four times as much to everybody he ripped off in his life. And he was a rich man. Peter wasn't poor. The Bible says that when Jesus found Peter, he was mending his nets and he was taking care of his boats. He had a profitable fishing business. I found out that they excavated Peter's house from Capernaum in 1948 in this country. And they excavated it. They found out that Peter's house was actually quite large. It had several living rooms. Several. Like, how many do you have? The early church met in Peter's house. Jesus based his ministry out of Peter's house. Peter wasn't poor. James and John, another, another couple of fishermen that Jesus called, the Bible says when, he, when they left to follow Jesus, they left their hired servants with their father in the boats. I don't have any hired servants. Do you? You're not poor if you have a hired servant. Matthew was a tax collector. We know those guys were upper middle class in those days. These guys weren't poor, but they left everything to follow Jesus. Now the question is this, why? Why did these guys who had so much leave it all to follow Jesus? I think it's because they realized early on in their life that it's best to do what Jesus tells you to do. When Peter met Jesus, it says in Luke 5, and I want to just read it for you, it says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing on to hear the word of God around Jesus, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now check this out, put out into deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, I appreciate what you have to offer me right now. Thanks for the preaching and everything that was cool, but we toiled all night and took nothing. Now let me just put this into context for you. Fishermen in those days fished all night. That's how they did it, because they didn't want the fish to see their nets, so they would drop them in the, ocean, in the waters at night. They spent their days doing two things. The first thing was they would hang their nets to dry so that they wouldn't break for the next catch, the next day's night shipping. And then the second thing that they would do all day was sleep, like you would if you worked third shift. And so Peter does have some, you know, common sense beef here with what Jesus is saying. He's like, hey, Jesus, we fished all night, we caught nothing, and instead of hanging our nets out to dry, we've been listening to you preach all day, and we're kind of beat, and we haven't slept, and so now we're going to hang the nets instead of sleeping so we can fish at night. He has a common sense beef, but he says this, but at your word, but at your word, if you you have your Bible open, underline those words. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And what happens? Peter drops the banana. He's got everything to lose in this equation. Everything. The nets could break. They'd be up a creek. Huge profit margin loss here. Just waiting to happen. And verse 6 says, and when they had done this. What's this? And when they had done what Jesus said to do. They enclosed such a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, 
that they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. They had a banner catch. Why? Because Peter learned early on there's something about this Jesus that if you do what he tells you to do, it might not make sense and it might scare the wits out of you. But if you do it, if you trust him, it will go very, very well for you. Why? Because he has everything. He owns it all. He loves you. And he knows what's best for you. I want you to stand with me.